You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we are going to be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. Hello, I'm Mark. Yay! Hello, Mark. Hi! Uh, it's just the two of us this week. Yeah. So this is probably going to be a shorter podcast, and it's not going to be the one I had planned. <laughs> well, I was going to... We were going to do Carnival of Monsters. Mm-hmm. That's Which I duly watched. Did you? You made me sit through a Pertwee, and now you're not even going to talk about it. Okay, I'll talk to you about it. What did you think <laughs> of Carnival? I haven't watched it yet. We're all going to watch it and probably do it next week. Oh, okay, fair enough. Or maybe the week after. What did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was one of his less annoying ones, to be fair. <coughs> Honestly, yeah. He's not so patronising in, in that story, in my opinion. Um, the wife wasn't quite so keen. The, the comment, is this a Robert Holmes one, came out, and I was like, yes. She said, oh, I knew I wouldn't like it. What's wrong with Robert Holmes? Uh, every Robert Holmes uh, story that she's seen, she's really hated Really? Part, well, she, she thought Caves of Androzani was all right. Oh, Caves of Androzani's a bit grim. Mm. She hated the two doctors. Well, why on earth would you show her the two doctors? Well, why not? Because it's awful. Well, yeah, there is that. But, um, and what else has she seen? Oh, she hated the talons of Wang Chiang as well. Really? Yeah, I and mean, she loves Sherlock Holmes. Oh, uh, well, yeah, but... Oh, well, this is the thing. Talons of Wayne Chang isn't really based on Sherlock Holmes. It's based on Fu Manchu. Well, yeah. Hence all the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> slightly dubious. Uh... Yeah, but the slightly dubious stuff is, like, I think, literally out of the novels, isn't it? I don't know. I'm not I'm not au fait with that stuff at all. I would have imagined so. Mm. And then they do... Well... They they do make it very clear that the that Lee Sen Chang at the very least is playing up to the image. Mm, yeah, uh, it is a bit dubious there, <laughs> but I can't believe she didn't like it. Honestly, I'm going to go and kick her ass. She, <laughs> <clears throat> she was quite impressed with the uh, episode one cliffhanger. I mean, she missed it the first time round because she was reading her book. But uh, when the reprise came round for episode two, I said, "Oh, look, that's that's." Interesting, isn't it? She's like, oh, yeah, that's that's really good. What was the episode one cliffhanger? It's where the hand reaches into the miniscope and picks up the TARDIS and then takes it away. Okay, uh, you're back on Carnival of Monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, I thought you were still that, talking that was, about the Towers of Wing Chang. Well, that was the point of the, the this part of the conversation. Yes. It kind of drifted off into yes. why Robert it Holmes is rubbish. It off, hadn't it? <laughs> why didn't Just so you... unlike <clears throat> when I'm on the podcast. But I asked you what you thought of Carnival of Monsters. No, I I quite enjoyed it. I did. I liked it. Um, Drashig's possibly not the greatest uh, monsters of all time, but then Barry Letts probably would disagree with me on that one. Well, they're better than quite a few others. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> no, I, I did enjoy it. Um, some great performances. Could see Ian Martyr again, albeit in a different role. 
Oh God, I've forgotten that. I'm looking mm. forward to that now. Mm. Yeah, and I like the um, obviously because we're nerds, we're so sort of we have the the plot ingrained in our brains, even if it is a bit sort of wishy washy. If you haven't seen it for a while, well, the plot. Yeah, wishy washy. No, well, in terms of our recollection of it. Oh, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, the plot's one of the better ones. Yeah, yeah. That's... I do like that sort of mystery. You know, if you're coming to it completely afresh. Put me off completely reading the book. And it's always been synonymous with uh, The Five Faces of Doctor Who for me. Oh, we'll see. It was the novel for me. Right. And the front of the book says Carnival of Monsters. And so you're thinking, hurrah, there's just going to be loads of monsters Mm -hmm. in here. Daleks and Cybermen and Ice Warriors. And actually, no, apart from the Drashigs, there's not really any monsters Well, I do like to tease you with... um, Ogrons and Cybermen through the miniscope, but you don't actually see them yeah, no. in action, which is a bit of a shame. It's not really yeah. much of a carnival of monsters at all. <laughs> so the book, when I was a kid, was always one of the boring ones, because mm. it's just a lot of people talking. Spaceport of, of the grey bureaucrats doesn't really have the same ring to it, does it? Not when you're eight. No. But when you're 28 or 38 mm. or 48... The planet of the grey bureaucrats. <laughs> Especially when they're played by people like Michael Wisher. Yeah, nice. And um, what's-his-face is in it as well. Well, I'm about to discover all this and we'll talk about it <laughs> in a couple of weeks. But um, isn't uh, Becca in it yes, as well? Yes, yeah, yeah, he's in it, yeah. Yeah. Peter uh, Halliday. Peter Halliday, that's the one. Mm. Who's the third one? I can't. I don't know, some grey bloke. Oh, yeah, no, they're all pretty... I'm sure all three of them are quite well-known Doctor Who hmm. character actor types. Uh, well, we'll discover this in due course. Mm, the other thing that instantly put her off was the, the outfits of the uh, the uh, guy and gal demonstrating the, uh, uh, well, the miniscope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> i got to say, the first time I saw it, that was a bit of an eye-opener for me too. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. But they're so well done. Mm. Characterised. So well acted. Yeah, no, I did enjoy it. Yeah. For a Pertwee. Well, we'll talk more about that either next time or the time after when mm. everybody else is here. Mm. Um, well, here's a piece of news. As you hear this... It's right. old news. No, no, no. As you... No, 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 no. We'll move on to the news news later. Oh, okay. No, no, no. As you hear this, this should just be available. And it probably won't be available for very long because there'll probably be a cease and desist notice at some point. Well, yeah, I wanted to... Ages ago, I was going to put together a PDF of all the various short stories I've written for fanzines and things over the years and the books and that. Mm -hmm. There's about a dozen or so of them. Yeah. And there's like a couple that have been made into... Well, four that have been made into... Three that have been made into audio plays and things like that. The play What I Wrote. Yeah, one of them's even on video on YouTube. Wow. Somebody animated it, Adam Bullock. So there's about 14 stories. Mm. And I was going to put together a PDF and just like print off one copy as a book for myself. Yeah. Just for sort of personal satisfaction. Mm. But then I was thinking to myself that I wanted to do something for Amy's charity. Okay. So I thought, well, why don't I make it available, and if anybody buys any copies, the royalties can go to Amy's charity, which is... Hope for HH UK. 
What does HH stand for? Hypothalamic hamartomas. <clears throat> Are we going to say why? Uh, yeah, it's our son has the condition, um, which is um, something that affects the brain and causes all sorts of nasty things, but it can... Basically, it's sort of analogous to epileptic seizures. Yeah, he has epilepsy and could potentially have other things down the line, but... But hopefully yeah. he's going to be all right and have yeah. an operation soon. Mm. Whenever they get around to it. Yeah. But um, anyway, you've been raising money for this charity. Amy, Amy's been yeah. raising money. She's been I brilliant. I you plural, really. Yeah. No, it's all Amy. It's all so, Amy. She's been great. So Amy's been selling books and she had a target of £200. Yeah. And she's currently at... I think we've just gone over the £800 barrier. Oh, yeah, the Ross T. Davis book would have done that, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, that was um, great thanks to um, a friend of ours we've known for ages but never actually met in the flesh called Brian Richardson uh, and a gentleman called Andrew C. Smith uh, who was instrumental in being able to speak to Russell T. Davis and asking him to supply a book and sign it. Um, and that, yeah, that raised £110. Wow. See, I was going to put in a bit of £25 for that one. <laughs> how generous. <laughs> well, how all you can afford. Well, you mean how generous. Yeah. But anyway, so, mm. well, also you've had a J.K. Rowling book. Yeah, writing as Robert Galbraith, um, the first of the, um, the Cormoran Strike <clears throat> books. Um, that went for £101.11. pence. Wow. So actually, your £200 goal has been mm. more than covered by just two books. Yeah, no. Uh, people have been so generous, uh, not just the people who put their hard-earned cash into bidding on these books, but also the uh, the authors involved uh, have been incredibly generous in you know agreeing to send out signed books. And um, it's just... It re kind of reinvigorates your faith in humankind with everything that's going on in the world at the moment. It's nice to think that people still actually care. So everybody who's listening to this should go to watchingbooks.weebly.com and buy a copy of Fanwinked, mm. which is what it's called. Fanwinked. <laughs> How did you come upon that uh, title, JR? Well, it's a cross between fanwank and hoodwinked. <laughs> Doesn't instill an awful lot of confidence in the reader, does it? But I'm sure it'll be fantastic <clears throat> stuff. Well, you've probably read some. I've read, well, I've certainly read um, your contribution to the War Doctor series that came out. Is that going to be one? Yeah, there? that's yeah. going to be in there. Yeah. Twice, in fact. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you for why, because I wrote the entire story before Declan had really sorted out what he wanted the story arc to okay. be. And then he came back to me afterwards and said, look, I want you to include these elements. So you had to tweak it a bit. Well, he said tweak it. And I said, I can't tweak it. Because when you write something... So it was a complete you, page one rewrite. Well, it's not all that different, but mm. it is a page one rewrite. Yeah. But if you're writing something with an end goal in mind, mm -hmm. that affects every word you put on yeah. the page. Yeah. So even though I basically just wrote exactly the same story the second mm -hmm. time around, I started from scratch and rewrote the whole thing. So there are two complete and the same but different versions of that story mm. in there. And was it Pieces of Eight? Was that your one of your audio? 
Yeah, that's in there. Yeah, that's There's good. a script for that's in there. I don't want to make you too big-headed, but I did enjoy that one. I thought it was good. Oh, that's the one that's on... Um, that's the one that was animated. Mm. And it's on YouTube. I think it's we'll have to put a link in the show notes. Oh, what? Show notes on Blue Box Podcast? I'll put it on the Facebook page. <laughs> Maybe. I think it's got something like 10,000 hits. Is that just you personally? Yeah, right. <laughs> I think it has, though. Weird. No, I don't bad. know why. Um, and all sorts of other things in there. Basically, um, there's two or three things in there that have never seen the light of day that were written for things that never came out. Oh, that's and then, really good. Yeah, and lots of other stuff. So however many copies it sells, mm-hmm. you'll get a little bit of money from each copy. Thank you very much. Um <clears throat> Other thing, oh, I tell you what, I was going to do a little, well, not really exactly a review, but mm. before we get into something by way of a topic. Yeah, that'd be novel. Well, <laughs> <clears throat> I do have a topic. Okay. I don't know if we'll get to it, to be honest, because we're mm. a bit against the clock. Right. Um, But one of our listeners, Dylan Reese. Oh, yeah. Dylan uh, Deadline Reese. He's, yeah, as was. Right. <laughs> he's written a book. Ah. Oh. Did you know about this? No, no. Okay, so he has written a book. You know, lately there have been a series of books which have been... You know the programme guide? Yeah. is like a guide to everything that's on TV. Mm-hmm. But lately there have been a series of books looking into sort of various sort of offshoot things. Okay. Paul Mars did the annual years, do you remember? I'm not familiar. I know Paul Mars, but I'm not familiar with that. Particular. Right, basically it's sort of a guide to the Doctor Who annuals. Okay. And it takes you through all the various stories, mm-hmm. right from the start, right up to the present day, including, okay. I think, yeah. including the Dalek annuals and stuff right. like that. That came out through Obverse Books. Ah, okay. <clears throat> well, Dylan's book is also for Obverse Books, and it's not so much a guide as it is a... Well, I'll tell you what, it's... I reckon he must have read the um, J&T book by Richard Martin. Okay. Because it sort of follows that sort of basic formula, mm-hmm. where it's lots of interviews and it's also... not a bad place to start. But, and also quotes from the sort of Doctor Who magazine and the press mm-hmm. at the time, and old okay. interviews, quotes from old interviews, yeah. and then new interviews with all the people involved. Mm-hmm. It's about the BBV and what have you. Ah, oh, cool. The spin-off... Um, the stories from the yeah the wilderness years. Mm. It's actually called. It's called Downtime: The Lost Years of Doctor Who. Okay, I think it must be out pretty soon. I don't think it's out yet, but I mm. think it must be on the very close horizon because they sent me a, a PDF to look at. Nice. So uh, yeah, well, I've only dipped into it because mm. you know I only really read hard copies of things because yeah. uh, I don't have a tablet or anything like that. That's, you know, Kindle's <clears throat> a bit too high-tech for you, really, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't really like... I don't really car- like carrying my <laughs> desktop PC around with me to read, so... It means, but I've dipped into it, and it's... Yeah. Uh, it's... Uh, it's a compelling read, mm-hmm. I would say. It's one of those things where you just sort of think, oh, I'll just read a few lines here and before you know it you're several chapters in well yeah no (laughs) (laughs) otherwise i'd have read the whole book but you know what i mean yeah a couple of pages later and you're thinking well that was more than just a couple of sentences that sounds good Uh, i mean one of the yeah i didn't 
one of the things I sort of came across was the reason Nicola Bryant stopped making them. Okay. And uh, it's like everybody tells a slightly different story. Yeah. That's yeah, one of those things. So it's a judge for yourself moment. Mm-hmm. But the quotes from Nicola Bryant and from all the other people who were working at the time when she decided not to do anymore. So does it really cover the years up until Big Finish, that sort of era? Or does it carry on into Big <clears throat> Finish as well? Well, it doesn't do cover Big Finish. No, but, you know, that but was a goes, precursor, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it goes beyond Big Finish. Because there well, were quite a few all... people involved in BBV who then went on to do Big Finish. Yeah, and it does... And I... Well, I don't know, I didn't look at the end, but mm. I'm assuming it go, they, they carried on and did a couple more into mm. recent years. Yeah. There's one new one came out, what, three years ago? Oh, really? That recent? Yeah, there was... There was um, Maybe even more recently than that. There mm. was a sort of sequel to Demos Rising. Okay. Well, I say a sequel. I think it's... What's she called? Damaris Heyman. No. Mm. The actress's name. I think there's a, there is a, a video of her like reading like half a dozen short stories or something. Okay. Which is a slight... I don't know. I've not seen it. Mm. But I think it... I think it probably will cover everything up to those because why would you stop? Yeah, yeah. So it carries on and does all of them, I mm-hmm. think. But it tells the behind-the-scenes story as more than it is reviews or a guide or anything. I mm. suppose if you if you want a guide, you just go on the internet, look them up. Yeah, I mean, if you want off. reviews, you can it's just blogs ten a penny, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So this is the the story of the in-depth. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good. And it's quite nicely laid out as well, mm. into about 40 fairly short chapters. Yeah. So that makes it something that's... You can kind of dip in and out of it. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's something... Oh, yeah. When you've got lots of shorter chapters, I don't know, I find things like that easier to read. Mm-hmm. So that's a recommendation. Yeah. That would have to be a pre-order at the moment, I think, because <laughs> I'm not sure when it's out. I should have looked, shouldn't I? Well... You like to wing it, don't you? <laughs> We've got two bits of news mm. that I think are worth talking about. Yeah. Because, well, obviously one of them's slightly out of date by now. And the other one's not really a bit of news so much as a bit of conjecture. But they both affect things that are coming up. Mm. So it's worth talking about them. Yeah. Even though we're not getting there. Well, I say we're not getting in there under the radar. <laughs> The weird thing is, we did a podcast about one of them two <laughs> two weeks ago, a week before the news came out. Very prescient. Yeah, yeah just a little bit. Yeah. For once, instead of being behind with the news, yeah, we were actually a week right ahead there, of the news. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, on the one hand, we'll talk about this in a second, Peter mm. Capaldi is announced yeah. he's leaving. Oh, so sad. The other thing is, um, well... The other day was the um, press screening of the start of Series 3 of Broadchurch. Okay, yeah. And I'm not sure whether this was confirmed or inferred, but the Radio Times said that because there is still editing and stuff, I suppose, going on on Series 3 of Broadchurch, and because Chris Chibnall wanted to take a break afterwards before... Getting stuck into yeah, Doctor Who. So, Radio Times are saying that production on season 11 of Doctor Who won't kick off until January of next year. Mm-hmm. 
which kind because um, Michael Pigwood, do you remember on Radio Free Scaro a few mm. months ago? Yeah, he basically said that there needs to be that's right roughly three months before you go into production. He needs the scripts in order to do the designs and get the carpenters in and what have you. And Stephen was doing ready. his best to kind of wheedle it out of him, but he wasn't really uh, yeah, he wasn't but that he, much. yeah, but no, but. But he he told you what did did kind of give it away to a degree. Without put, put it this saying. way, say Chris Chibnall starts writing on Doctor Who in about June, mm. and so say it's another two or three months after that before the first two or three scripts are ready to go to the designers. And yeah. well, they need to be then the scripts need to go to the BBC first, and they yeah. need to come back from the BBC mm-hmm. and get the green light before they go to the production teams. Yeah. And then the production teams need another three months to get stuff ready. Even if Chris Chibnall started in like May or June, mm-hmm. you're still not going into production until October or November. Yeah. So if the radio times say January, or they said next year, I don't think they actually said January, but to me that says January. Mm-hmm. And it's nine months of production. Yeah. So you're nine really months or so. Until the end of the year. Yeah. So you're actually looking at them finishing the 12 episodes in about August and doing a Christmas special, which mm-hmm. takes you through to the end of September or so. Yeah. So, yeah. So we've got season 11, looks like it's going to be in the autumn of 2018. Yeah. Which is kind of, I'm guessing, and I don't know, this is just conjecture, mm. but I'm guessing that the original plan was for it to be in the spring again. Because I'm sure they said when Stephen Moffat's series was series 10 Mm. was going to be in spring of this year i'm sure i got the impression whether they said it or not that the idea was that doctor who was going to be back in the spring for four years well i certainly heard a lot of talk on podcasts and what have you about the fact that the scheduling just hadn't worked although it was you know traditionally that time of year that old people like us would remember seeing doctor who um, just a in terms, fraction of the people watching. Yeah, in terms of ratings and the scheduling was all over the place, wasn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's like when Russell T. Davis. It's funny because listening back to, I'm listening back through um, on the time lash at the mm, moment. Oh yeah. And they always say that they always compare. They're going through the new series episode by episode in order yeah. and comparing each story with an old story from yeah. the classic series. Mm-hmm. And they always give the. Um, broadcast tx yeah and of course for the russell t davis ones the broadcast tx every single episode is 7 till seven forty-five. Yeah, yeah and then you get to stephen moffat and it's all and, over the shop yeah which obviously has got nothing to do with him no i mean he with... was really frustrated with that as well i remember seeing um interviews with him where he's getting really hacked off with the fact that it's being shoved all around the schedules but as he said these days when a program's on the television, that's like it's publication. Mm. And yeah, the way we consume these days is totally different from from even back when the RTD era launched. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. iPlayer didn't launch until December of 2007 mm. and didn't, for the first couple of years, iPlayer was irrelevant for most people, mm. I guess. Yeah. And now... I've noticed in the last sort of two years, maybe, mm-hmm. televisions are sold with iPlayer. Yeah. 
So, I mean, if you buy, if you've bought a television in the last two or three years, mm-hmm. you've just got iPlayer on your television. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I just got a new telly a few weeks ago. For, and you know how often you buy a telly. You buy yeah. a telly every sort of five or ten years, really, mm-hmm. don't you? Yeah. So, for the first time, I've got iPlayer on the telly. Mm-hmm. And now I've, I watch stuff on iPlayer myself, as a matter of course, yeah. whereas previously... Mainly CBeebies. No, um, <laughs> actually, the the it's not that long since I got the telly, and the, yeah. the first couple of things I've watched on there have been Sherlock nice. and Doctor Who. Yeah. So yeah, mm. I know. Uh, yeah, you've put me off my stride. <laughs> Just like I, good old days. Oh yeah, I was coming to a point, but you know, like Stephen Moffat said, it it doesn't really matter when it's on now because. Mm. When Ross T. Davis brought Doctor Who back in 2005, he did sort of reinvent that Saturday night thing. Mm. It was event television, wasn't it? Well, that Saturday night thing is still going, but that Saturday night thing now is the X Factor. Talent shows. Strictly. Well, in inverted commas. Well, it always was anyway. Mm. Well, this is going to be at the end of the... Have you heard the David Kitchen episode yet? Yes. And at the end... I said we should do an episode about what is Doctor Who. Because mm. we worked out that what Doctor Who wasn't was social commentary. Mm-hmm. So the what is Doctor Who episode will be about this. So I don't want to go into it too deeply now. No. But yes, Saturday night is for talent shows. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Who was a talent show to all intents and purposes. And to my mind, pretty much always has been. Light entertainment. Yes, mm. we'll go into that more at another point. Mm. But coming back to what we were talking about, with it being in the autumn, yeah. that's going to take it away from that 7 o'clock slot mm. again. Yeah. Because you're either going to have it on before or after Strictly. And if Strictly's half past 6 till half past 8, you're either talking half past 8 or you're talking sort of half past 5. Yeah. Well... I suppose it depends what kind of Doctor Who Chris Chibnall makes, but mm. I could potentially go half past five. Yeah. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Be interesting. Peter Capaldi then. Yes. Simon must have been absolutely livid that it got announced on the Joe Wiley show because he's such a a huge fan of hers. Oh, I'm taking it he's not then. <laughs> no, can't stand that. <laughs> Wow. Sorry, Joe, if you're listening. Uh, oh, yeah, because she's bound to be, of Yeah, course. yeah, she's a massive Doctor Who fan. Which doesn't necessarily mean that she listens to about 50 different types of Doctor <laughs> Who podcasts No, just the week. one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, not, in, not entirely a shock, if I'm honest. Not remotely a shock, no, let's be honest. No. It's just sad that he's going, because I think he's such a great actor and a brilliant ambassador for the show as well. Do you think that, because, well, this is a loaded question, do you think mm. his age has affected people watching the programme? Ooh, I don't know. Um, there's certainly an element of the audience that perhaps were very much in love with David Tennant and subsequently learn to love Matt Smith in terms of their affections for him that perhaps wouldn't have found Peter Capaldi such uh, a sort of uh, a 
and well, he ain't young and pretty. Well, no, no. That said, I know lots of women who really think he's very attractive, but well, I, I don't know. I don't know if that really figures into it or not. But I think in terms of, well, I don't think you can not figure it into it. Frankly, mm. we all saw that video of that girl. Yeah, watching the yeah, announcement, the live was, announcement. That was embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, yes, that was embarrassing for her. Well, I don't know. The way I look at these things is, if that's one person doing that, mm. and she's doing it on video, she ain't the only person in no, the world who's doing no. that. And not to put too fine a point on it, I think that you've probably lost the teen demographic. Mm. Doctor, do you remember the National Television Awards when David Tennant would turn up and there would be screaming up to the rafters? Mm -hmm. There would be girls screaming at Mm -hmm. David Tennant. And I'm sure Matt Smith probably must have enjoyed some of the same thing as well when he was the Doctor. I don't think you can set aside the fact that for a good seven or eight years, Doctor Who, in the modern era, has been a pretty boy and a pretty girl mm-hmm. going out and having adventures. Yeah. And you you can't discount that. So if all of a sudden it's a pretty girl and an old bloke, then you audiences, your yeah. casual audiences, are bound to react to that slightly differently. Do you think that's why they brought in Matt Lucas? Why? Well, Matt Lucas isn't young and pretty. <laughs> I may have been slightly sarcastic then. But... Well, yeah, okay, but no, actually, you say that and you're being sarcastic, but Matt Lucas has been brought in because of Little Britain. Mm. And if there's one thing that a casual audience likes, mm. it's somebody who's going to keep them entertained. Yeah. Now, that can either be entertained by having fantasies about this person, or it can be being entertained by having a damn good laugh whenever this person opens their mouth. Mm-hmm. So, yes, Mark, I do think that's why they've brought Matt Lucas in. Very much so. I have to say, I wasn't exactly thrilled when they announced that he would be coming back for the next series, having seen him in The Wedding River Song. I thought the character worked fine for that story, but I just didn't think it really had the legs to go on from there but having said that having seen the most recent Christmas special I think there's actually quite a lot of potential for the character I think it would be interesting to see where they go with it yeah well he looks well one of the expressions that people were using when they were reviewing the Christmas special the return of Doctor Mysterio the Mm -hmm. last Christmas special was valet Mm -hmm. that he's going to Basically, he's going to be the character that... Oh, Mummy on the Orange Express. Um, right. What was the character? Who's the actor in... Or the comedian in Mummy on the Orange Express? Frank Skinner. Frank Skinner. Yeah. Basically, he's going to be what Frank Skinner would have been mm-hmm. if he'd have stuck around in the TARDIS. Yeah. In other words, he'll be there as the Doctor's sort of dog's body. Mm-hmm. And he'll... And I guess... Because Stephen Moffat has also said they've now written him into a lot more stories than they had originally yeah. planned for him to be in. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm guessing that at some point he was going to be a sort of carryover character and he'd probably been in the first couple of episodes mm-hmm. 
and then would have faded away. And now it looks like he's going to stick around, not for every episode, he says, mm. but for most of them, according to Stephen Moffat. More of a recurring character than a necessarily a travelling companion. Well, I get the impression maybe he'll be in the TARDIS all the time, but he won't necessarily come on the adventures. So no. there'll be sometimes when he won't turn up at all, and mm. he'll just have been somewhere else in the TARDIS doing something else. Yeah. Or something along those lines. Because mm-hmm. he's not just going to turn up in all the places they arrive. No, that's the truth. So, well, uh, before we talk more about Peter Capaldi, have you mm. seen the other news from this week? I don't like know. Gaitis oh, yeah, yeah. Splashing about. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, no, I haven't seen that, but I've seen him talking about the Ice Warriors coming back. Okay, so, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been announced by the BBC, so. Yeah, not some official. That's not a spoiler. That's a, yeah, so what do you think of the Ice Warriors coming back? Um. Uh, one of our very first episodes was about what monsters would you like to see come back, and I think I vouch for the Ice Warriors. Having seen Cold War, um, you made a mistake. Obviously, um, mi- mixed feelings. Um, and now he's saying that we're going to see a new type of Ice Warrior that we haven't didn't seen we last before. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice Lady. Well, maybe or Ice King. Well, could be. Ice Warriors, Ice Lords, Ice yeah. King. Yeah. Well, it's going to be set on Mars. Okay. Apparently. Oh, well, this is not really a spoiler because it'll be all over the uh, publicity. Assuming it's true. It's mm. going to be set on Mars. Gatiss has said it has that mon- bank holiday Monday. Yes, I saw that. Edgar Riceborough's sort of... Uh, and didn't you point uh, out that that's Verne. what he also said about that's um, what he said. Victory of the Daleks? That's exactly what he said about Victory <laughs> of the Daleks. So it bodes well. You know, when Cold War came out, mm. I don't know if you remember my review. I think I talked about this when we reviewed it. Mm. I said what it really lacked was an end game. Right. It got, you spent all this time in the submarine, and what it really needed to do for the last 15 minutes was the submarine fetches up in an sort of underground cave yeah. and you go off into the cave for mm-hmm. 10 minutes or 15 minutes That in order to balance that episode it really needed to yeah. go somewhere mm-hmm. and it didn't go anywhere so the ending where the ice warrior just says oh okay fair enough and disappears yeah. all kind of falls a bit flat mm-hmm. so what I'm hoping for is that this episode will sort of be what the end of that episode should have been. Okay. Especially if he's saying Edgar Rice Burroughs, Jules Verne, that sort of thing. And if I'd just like Mars, for him to have a really well-received episode. Because... Well, I think the Crimson Horror was. Yeah, and also um, his Sleep no contribution for the, the first series with Russell T. Davis. Yeah, I um, think... Which the name eludes me, I can't remember now. That's 12 years ago, Mark. Well, you know, none of us are as young as we used to be. Um, that that went down well, but it's since then it's been pretty patchy, to say the least. Yeah, I think even Crimson Horror has got people who don't like it, mm. but that's the one that's most universally liked. I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's usually the Mark Gatiss ones, the more sort of stereotypically, historically, mm-hmm. pseudo-historical they are, yeah. the better they're received. Sleep oh. no more. Very yeah. sci-fi. 
not really Mark Gatiss's ballpark. Mm. And although some people oh, love he's it. He's a big horror fan, though, so that it did have horror elements to it. Yeah, but I mean, it's where... Well, you say he's a big horror fan. Mm. But horror is pretty wide sort of genre. Yeah, I guess. And his big thing is sort of classical, historical. Mm. Even if it wasn't historical at the time it was written, it's historical now. Mm. His, his big thing is Victorian Gothic. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Ice Warriors on Mars... And he's talking rice burrows. Well, so, well, what you're thinking is, okay, what you're thinking is maybe something along the lines of King Solomon's Mines. Mm -hmm. But you're also really talking about John Carter. Yeah, I was going to say John Carter. Brackets of Mars. Exactly. So, I don't know. I mean, if it, he's a big Doctor Who fan as well. Tomb of the Cybermen, except on Mars with the Ice Warriors. (laughs) Oh, well, that's that's yeah. that's what I would do. I think mm. yeah, it would be because uh, we learned in Waters of Mars something about the Ice Warrior civilization. Well, this is obviously going to be something about the Ice Warrior civilization. Yeah. Well, if this, the Ice Warrior civilization is gone by twenty fifty, mm. well, either it's going to be time travelers or else it's going to be. Somebody reawakening the yeah, but then if in twenty fifty the ice warrior civilization is completely dead, but in the future, at the time of Peladon, you've got ice warriors in the fifth galaxy or wherever it is. Or perhaps it's about them going back to Mars to reclaim their well natural well, and also, but then also. The Ice Warriors, the very first time they appear, is set in the far future, mm-hmm. or the f- sort of fairly distant future. Yeah. But it's about an Ice Warrior who's been asleep for thousands of years. Yeah. Right, and the Ice Warrior in Cold War has been asleep for some time, mm-hmm. but when he wakes up in, what is it, 1943 or something? I forget now. Well, it's sometime during the Second World War, right? Mm-hmm. So, he... Oh, is it Cold War or is it Second World War? I can't remember now. I can't remember. It might even be Cold War. Any point, it's 20th century. Well, it's Russian sailors, isn't it, in the the submarine? So it's probably Second World War. I don't know, actually, no. Oh, no, because he's listening to Vienna. It's 1980s, isn't it? Yeah. The the title Cold War does give you a bit of a pointer, I suppose. So there you go. 1980s, Ice Warrior... Mm. He wakes up, gets in touch with his people, and they come and get him. Yeah. So, where are they in 2050? Mm. During the time of the waters of Mars. So, this story can only surely address that, can't it? If it's going to be set on Mars, it has to address why the Ice Warriors aren't on Mars. Yeah, well, that does kind of have a logic to it, but who knows? Well, presumably, they've gone off and... Well, either they've become extinct, inverted commas, mm. except not, and this will be the story where they're reawakened, mm. or else they've gone off into the galaxy and left Mars behind, yeah. which I think happens or gets referred to in one of the new adventures. Okay. I could be completely wrong. I think there's a new adventures about the fact that the Ice Warriors have left Mars. Mm. I'm probably completely wrong. If this is set on Mars, it's either the Ice Warriors have come back to their own planet. Mm-hmm. 
Or else the Ice Warriors are asleep on their home planet and somebody wakes them up. Yeah. Either way, I get a Tomb of the Cybermen vibe off nice. this. This is from about 15 seconds of Mark Gatiss talking <laughs> on a little video clip. So this is all probably completely, completely wrong. <clears throat> Peter Capaldi. Mm. Well, the the sort of fan view of Peter Capaldi was that he... and. There's been a lot since the announcement. He he made the announcement. Mm-hmm. There's been obviously everybody's been talking about it, and yep. a lot of people have come out of the woodwork with their opinions mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily have heard before. And it turns out a lot of people, or, or certainly a, a fair enough proportion of people, that it's a thing, mm. haven't liked him very much at all. Really, and this is fans, right? I find that surprising. I'm not. I'm not disputing what you're saying, but maybe it's because I don't sort of occupy the uh, the forums. But well, I, mean, I mean, this has been all over Facebook and Twitter, and yeah. this is this is just the reactions just been everywhere. Everybody's all, been talking about really. it. I mean, all I've seen is absolutely positive. Maybe that's about the people I follow on Twitter and know on Facebook. But uh, well, I've not seen anything negative that. at all. The only negativity I've seen is I've seen some people saying. He was a brilliant actor, but they felt that he wasn't served very well by the quality of the stories. Well, we'll come to that. But the, the I was going to do it one by one. Mm. Well, the but the this one, the, a lot of people have said they just haven't liked him as the Doctor. Mm. And that's not a comment on, oh, he's a good actor, not served well. They just haven't liked him. Mm. But one of the comments I've seen is that he doesn't have the warmth. Well, well, that's a that's a result of the way the character was written. Yeah, and I think I think what happens sometimes is that if you get used to a character being one way, yeah, even if the story is deliberately set up so mm-hmm. the character changes, I think sometimes because you're used to reading a character in one way you don't get to you don't you you don't change with the character mm. you still see the things that you were used to seeing yeah. even though he's doing other things instead or as well mm. but i also think it's perhaps an issue with the story arc in series 9 in series 8 you had a character who's been given a new regeneration cycle yeah who wasn't expecting a new regeneration mm-hmm. cycle, and who's going through a crisis of confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the story of Series 8 is the Doctor's crisis of confidence. Mm. And he has that speech at the end of Series yeah. 8, I'm the madman in the box, I just go out and do my thing. Mm-hmm. And that An is... Yeah, idiot in the box, that's yeah. it. And that is the point at which the character reaffirms himself. Mm. And then in A Christmas Carol, you get to see him being the Doctor. And in Series 9... Not a Christmas Carol, uh, last Christmas. Yeah. You get to see him being the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And then in Series 9, you should have had a whole lot more of him being the yeah. Doctor. Mm. Well, okay, the, there are two issues with that. One is, in Series 8, you saw quite a curmudgeonly version of the character. Yeah, this is true. But in Series 8 as well, there was warmth and there was a lot of humour. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was just played in a certain way. Yeah, most of it to do with his inability to comprehend humans and understanding. Well, a lot of it was, but not all of it was. Mm. And there was certainly, from about a third of the way into that series, there was certainly a growing Mm self-awareness in the character of who he was as he sort of begins to come to terms with the fact that he is the person he's always been. Yeah. He's just he's just worried about whether that really is true mm. of him. And of course, like I always say, when he regenerates, if every cell dies and is reborn as a new cell, that's an entirely new person. Mm. And there's no reason necessarily why you should carry on being the same person you were before. Point being, as you go through series eight, mm. you get a gradual change from the curmudgeonly yeah. doctor that you've got at the start mm-hmm. to the doctor that we all know by the end. But when you get into series nine, see, I think last Christmas says, right, here are the aspects of the doctor that are going to continue throughout this incarnation. And one of them is not really getting people. Mm-hmm. But it also, last Christmas, shows him having fun and reveling in mm. the adventure. Yeah. So when he realises that there's something to solve, he enjoys solving mm-hmm. it. And when he gets to the end and he's having to ride on the reindeer or whatever, yeah. you can see how much mm. fun he's had solving the problem. So this is a doctor who doesn't care to engage with human beings, mm. beyond obviously the person he's got as the companion, yeah. but who also enjoys being the doctor in respect of the fact that he knows he goes out and has adventures and has to solve things. Mm. Then you get to series nine, and you see, the idea with series nine is, if you've seen Last Christmas, and you've seen his speech from the end of Death in Heaven, you're supposed to just accept that he's the Doctor Mm. and he's back. But the trouble is, because you're supposed to just accept it, they don't really put that on the screen. Mm. So, and this suffers from what some people would call, what my editor at the magazine would call, the Christopher Nolan factor. Right. Whereas, and Matt will tell you, Matt Barber, who does this podcast, will Mm -hmm. tell you that this is crucial (laughs) to enjoying these films. And my editor at the magazine will tell you (laughs) it's crucial to you not enjoying these films. Mm -hmm. The Batman films that Christopher Nolan makes only ever take place at critical junctures Mm -hmm. in the character's Mm -hmm. development. And you never get to see what he's like in between. And I think with Series 9, there's a bit of that going yeah. on. Series 9, you re- in order to sell the fact that at the end Clara's going to die, mm. you really need to see the Doctor and Clara just kicking back and having ventures yeah. and having fun. Mm. But you start off with a story in which they barely interact. Mm. And in which... This doctor, who's now supposed to be kicking back and having fun and having adventures, goes through some really serious shit with Davos. Yeah, yeah. So already, you've kicked the season... I think it's a great two-parter to kick mm. the season off mm. in isolation. But you yeah. take it out of isolation and put it into its position in the series. And, th- and a lot of people have said that they think Series 9 is the best Doctor Who old-school fans. Yeah you know, for many a year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it probably is. But in terms of the character development, I think it misses a it misses a trick. Mm. 
So then you've got the uh, Toby Whithouse two-parter, the Under the Lake one. Yeah. Which, again, separates the Doctor and Clara for large parts of the story. Mm -hmm. And by this point, it's becoming apparent that Clara's arc is to become a version of the Doctor, as we think, to get hoist by her own petard Mm. like Icarus and to die by flying too close to the sun. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, that's not how the story finishes. Stephen Moffat, he always needs to find a way... Well, yeah, no, it's not so much that nobody dies, it's that it's Stephen Moffat, and rather than doing a Russell T. Davis, Mm -hmm. Stephen Moffat will look for the optimistic ending as Mm -hmm. opposed to the pessimistic ending. So rather than say, no, if you want to be the Doctor, you can't be, we're going to kill you off. Mm -hmm. He says, if you want to be the Doctor, well, we should all want to be the Doctor, so let's show you succeeding at that mm-hmm. so you're inspiring everybody to want to be a better person mm-hmm. but getting back to my point you've now taken the series down a trajectory where the doctor and clara who we should see enjoying adventures we only ever see them enjoying adventures in the cold opens mm. to the stories yeah. we do see yeah and in the stories we do see like as not they'll be split up in order that she can be going off and being mm-hmm. the Doctor somewhere. And we're missing the relationship between yeah. the two of them. And because we're missing that, we're not seeing the cuddlier side mm. of Peter Capaldi's Doctor. friend of mine, we haven't really talked about in great depth, but he's a fan from old school Doctor Who and uh, has really enjoyed the, the, the new series and was a huge fan of Matt Smith. Um, he was really struggling with... Peter Capaldi's Doctor um, but that said we, we had a brief chat about um, the last Christmas special and he said it was the episode that changed his mind about him and he actually The Return of Doctor Mysterio yeah he really enjoyed it um, he didn't expect it but he really enjoyed it I'll tell so you giving why. him hope for the next series yeah I will and I think that well, with luck, and from what it looks like, and from what I've been thinking about it, I think it will be. Because the whole Clara thing was that she was always... And I loved Clara. Mm. And I, I loved the story that was told. Yeah. But like I've said, you're only seeing critical junctures, yeah. and you're never seeing the stuff in between. Mm-hmm. And always that story was about where that story was going to end up yeah. going. So, in The Return of Doctor Mysterio, it's actually the first time you've seen Peter Capaldi mm. not worrying about something yeah. else. Yeah. And although he's got this thing hanging over him, which is River Song. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think in The Husbands of River Song, you also get to see that part of Peter Capaldi. Yeah. But I think people were distracted by the River Song thing. Mm. But I think that's, well, my interpretation of the end of The Return of Doctor Mysterio was that that's kind of drawn a line under it now with uh, Matt Lucas's speech at the end. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be a different tone. Well, going forwards, it looks like it will just be a year of relatively fun adventures mm. with uh, not to diminish her before she's even turned up with a companion who's not going to count as much wow. as the last two have. That's really harsh. Well, yeah, but then let me explain what I mean. Mm. Clara was created to be the companion at the 50th anniversary. Yeah. 
And obviously a large part of what Clara was there for was to facilitate the story where you go back through the Doctor's yeah. timeline. Mm-hmm. So you can show clips from all these old adventures yeah. on the screen mm-hmm. as opposed to in a Doctor Who confidential. Yeah. But to actually put them in the programme mm-hmm. itself, she was there to facilitate that. Yeah. Now, if you keep that, and you know, you've heard me talk about this, I think that if it hadn't have gone to two half series across 2012 and 2013, yeah. Clara would have been a one series companion mm-hmm. and she would have left in the name of the Doctor. Yeah. But because you keep that companion on, you then have to find something to do with her. Yeah. And I think the last two years have been a case of finding something yeah. for that character yeah. to do mm. that doesn't feel to an audience watching like an anti-climax mm-hmm. after where she was in yeah. that first series. Yeah. So she's been more a focus for the series mm. than a companion. Well, not necessarily more a focus than a companion will normally be, mm. but the angle from which she's been a yeah. focus has been different from mm-hmm. what you'd normally have. First of all, you've had the story with Danny Pink, yeah. which obviously is something completely different that's mm-hmm. never happened in Doctor Who before. And then after that, you've had the story where she becomes the Doctor, which is where the character of Ace was going to basically go. Mm-hmm. So it's not entirely unprecedented, no. but we never actually got to see it with Ace. Mm-hmm. So now we've actually sort of seen it. Yeah. So again, that's pushing the character on and focusing the series. And I, I've said this many times, what you've actually had is quite a subtle program where actually it is about the Doctor but it's about how the Doctor reacts to what the Companion's doing. Mm-hmm. People have said, oh, it's all about Clara. It's not all about Clara. It's actually all about the Doctor, mm. but it's about the Doctor from the angle of, here's how he reacts to yeah. what somebody's doing, and it's Clara who's the person who's doing those things that he's reacting to. Well, having um, seen people talking about, um, there's a new book out, called Hating to Love. I don't know if you've heard of that one. <clears throat> it's quite good, apparently. Um, they were talking about uh, Kill the Moon, and I was having a bit of a rewatch because I fancied watching some Peter Capaldi, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I remember it being receiving very mixed um, reviews when it came out, um, but it kind of feeds into what you're saying about, although it, on the face of it, it seems to be all about the companion, it's the Doctor putting her in that position yeah, and letting her work it out. Yeah, and that's and this is what he does throughout. Mm. And it's all about him watching her and him trying to work out. You, you know, there's the episode, The Woman Who Lived, mm. that she's barely even in. She turns yeah. up just at the end for the mm-hmm. last scene. And really, what that episode does is it sets out his relationship with her by looking at his relationship with somebody else, Mm -hmm. which throws his relationship with her into sharp relief. And The Husbands of River Song, although it's got River Song in it, so actually you've got a different relationship, Mm. but the relationship that River Song has had was with Matt Smith, and briefly with David Tennant, but Mm. mainly with Matt Smith. So by throwing her together with Peter Capaldi, actually you're allowing Peter Capaldi to be really free in his interpretation Mm. of the character Mm. because he's essentially, as far as the Twelfth Doctor's concerned, 
having an adventure with somebody who's never had an adventure before. Yeah. So basically, he's a free agent in mm-hmm. the Husbands of River Song mm-hmm. in terms of how he needs to react to a companion character. Yeah. And in The Return of Doctor Mysterio, even more so, obviously, because mm-hmm. you don't even have River Song there now. Yeah. So for me, the next series, and this is what I meant about Pearl Mackey, mm. when I said she doesn't count as much as the last two have, because obviously with Amy, mm-hmm. you had not the same things, but similar things going on as you had with Clara. Yeah. So now you've got a companion where unless there's going to be, and I, it doesn't look like there will be, but I suppose with Stephen Marvel we don't know, unless there's some overarching character trajectory for her where it turns out that she's going to go into the Doctor's timelines or get married to Nardole <laughs> as you do then there's not going to be the series is not going to be skewed towards his reaction to her mm. in that way in other words for the last sort of two years with Peter Capaldi and with Matt Smith before that the focus of the Doctor's attention has been on what's going on with the companion. Yeah. Whereas now it looks like the focus of his attention might just be... It's more about the adventures rather than... This person's fun. Yeah. Let's just go off and have some yeah. fun with this person. Mm. And I'm all for that, to be fair. Yeah. And so the return of Doctor Mysterio looks like it might be the start of Doctor Who. a template for that to go on. Yeah. The start of Doctor Who angling itself in that direction. Mm. That year off... Actually, in those terms, that year off was a good time to have a break because Mm -hmm. it said this is the end of a period of Doctor Who where the Doctor will be like X and now here's the start of a period of Doctor Mm -hmm. Who where the Doctor will be like Y. And so, and it's all on screen and it's it's written in the dialogue. I've been away Mm -hmm. and now I'm back. Yeah. And he, he almost winks at the camera as if to say... Yeah. And I'm going to be the Doctor that you always wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. Which is why, therefore, it's a shame that he's announced that he's leaving. Yeah. Because it feels like he's had two years of introduction mm-hmm. before now he just gets one year of being himself. Yeah. But, by the same token, if he's had two years of character development mm-hmm. in order to find his perfect doctor, then the character development's over. So where else actually do you take the character? Mm. You have a year of him just having adventures. Yeah. And then you have to move on. Well, it bodes well for a really storming final season. Yeah. But I mean, it looks like that character's gone as far as it's going to go. Mm. So, I mean... I suppose some people would say, yeah, well, why couldn't you just have two or three years with Peter Capaldi just having adventures then? Mm -hmm. But actually, the story of Doctor Who for the last 12 years has always been about the character of the Doctor developing. You regenerate, Mm -hmm. you reset, the Doctor starts afresh, and he develops, and he goes somewhere, and he achieves something, and he does something. I think the reason why the people who thought the Matt Smith 
sort of era was the weakest of the... Let's not count Christopher Eccleston in this because he only had one year, so he never yeah. really got a chance to... But David Tennant had development across his three series. Mm-hmm. Peter Capaldi's had development across his three series. And Matt Smith, not necessarily so. No, I guess not. Well, with Matt Smith, it was more like the... Um, it was more about Amy's development. Mm. Mm. So the Doctor himself wasn't really going anywhere. And I really enjoyed those three years, but uh, yeah. but it, it it wasn't a story of bringing the Doctor on, which is what mm. the Peter Capaldi era has very definitely been. I think looking at it from outside of the the story side of things and looking at it more from, you know, Peter Capaldi's, I mean, not that I can speak with any kind of knowledge or... Authority? Authority. Um, I could just imagine that someone of his age, um, it's a hell of a commitment. It's, how many is it? Nine, ten months out of the year. Mm. Um, Eleven day fortnights and often 16, 18 hour days. Yeah, and it's a really physical job. And I think he said himself, it was, you know, he's not complaining. He's just saying it is a very physical job. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it must have its demands. And maybe, you know, he's obviously he's a huge fan and it was something that he'd always dreamed of doing. And, you know, a lot of the greats have, have done three years and then moved on. Hey, apart from Tom Baker and John Pertwee, everybody's done three years. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, Paul McGann and Christopher Eccleston, I should <laughs> did say. You, did you happen to see that uh, lovely tweet by um, Janet Fielding on Twitter regarding... No. She's saying how... Um, Peter will be remembered as one of the greats. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but um, um, Pat Troughton was amazing. He did three years. Peter has been amazing, and he's done three years. Um, at which point, Peter Davison chips in with, oh, thanks, Janet. That's one of the nicest things you've ever... Oh, you mean the other Peter? <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. thanks. <laughs> well, it's true, though. The first two Doctors, the fifth, sixth, and seventh yeah. Doctors, the tenth, uh, eleventh, and twelfth Doctors... Mm-hmm. All essentially have done three years. Yeah. Or four years, but three series. Mm, mm. Or three years, but one series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. No, I will miss him dreadfully because I think he's been a brilliant, brilliant actor. Um, well, he was almost sort of. He, when he turned up, he was sort of like instant favourite. Yeah. Basically. Great actor. Mm. I, you know, your mileage may vary, but for me, I think his characterization has been excellent. Mm. I really enjoyed the first year where you got to see this doctor who was undergoing this, not a midlife crisis, a new life crisis. Mm. And his, well, he was Victor Meldrew in space. (laughs) But, you know, people respond to that. Mm. There's a reason why people like Victor Meldrew, yeah. like that program. Mm-hmm. And that is because, A, it's damn funny, but B, you can feel for the character. Yeah. And I think Peter Capaldi did bring that mm. to Doctor Who in mm. that year. It rubbed some people up the wrong way, but, yeah. you know, they were wrong. And then in the second year, I think they dropped the ball a bit in that you didn't get to see him having the fun that was yeah. promised at the end of Series 8. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get to see that in Series 10. Yeah, let's hope. So we've had the best of all worlds. Mm-hmm. I think I 
loved Matt Smith, but yeah, I think I really liked him. Yeah, but I think Peter Capaldi has taken it somewhere else. He's just got everything, you know. He's he's got that touch of you know he's got comedy chops to be able to pull off the funny stuff, but he can be really dynamic and um, he has gravity. Mm. And yeah. So when he gets to do things like the speech in the Zygon mm. inversion, yeah, yeah, you fully buy into it. Mm. Yeah, he. I think when the history books of the new series are told, there's no question there'll be a footnote about the fact that they lost a demographic. Although, mm. you know, I could talk about that too. They lost a demographic and it looked like the viewers were drifting away mm. and it looked like their AIs were falling. But actually, I think when the uh, history of the new series is told, this will be the golden period. And... Uh, Peter Capaldi will be the one that they look back on the most fondly. Like we look back most fondly at Patrick Trout now, mm. even though the series was almost cancelled. Yeah. Because the viewing figures mm. quartered or something. Yeah, yeah. They went from, I don't know, 13 million down to three and a half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. As Patrick Trout and so Peter Capaldi. Yeah. But just him as a person as well. I just thought the way he's handled yeah. himself the whole time has been absolutely top-notch. You know, no the things, question. Things he's gone out of his way to do, you know, helping charities and, you know, just turning up at children's hospitals and doing drawings and, you know, just... Can you imagine... Just generally what, being the toppest yeah, of top blokes. What, you know, turning up at the Doctor Who experience just on spec. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. You know, what an, what an amazing guy. Well, on that note, we'll uh, leave it for now. And then maybe next week we'll either talk about the Carnival of Monsters or we'll talk about Doctor Who as light entertainment. <laughs> or one or the other way around. Uh, but for now, thanks, Mark. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, well, until next time. I was Mark. I was JR. And we'll speak again soon. 